Hello, friends. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that we, we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I am your host, Krista Horton, and I am here with my other host, Zach Horton, and we are excited to be studying with you today. We are studying... Um, following along with the Come Follow Me lesson this week in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 13. And in fact, as I was reading the Come Follow Me manual as part of my study this week, uh, the introduction here is actually really good, and I want to read what's written here. Uh, It says, In Paul's time, Corinth was a wealthy trade center with residents from all over the Roman Empire, which we talked about in our last episode. With so many different cultures and religions in the city, church members in Corinth struggled to maintain unity. So Paul sought to help them find unity in their belief in Christ. This unity was to be more than just a peaceful coexistence. Paul wasn't asking them merely to tolerate each other's differences. Rather, he taught that when you join the church of Jesus Christ, you are baptized into one body, and every body is or and every body part is needed. When one member is lost, it's like losing a limb, and the body is weaker as a result. When one member suffers, we should all feel it and do our part to relieve it. In this kind of unity, differences are not just acknowledged, but cherished, because without members of diverse gifts and abilities, the body would be limited. So whether you feel like you're always been at, you've always been at home in the church, or find yourself wondering if you truly belong, Paul's message is that unity is not sameness. You need your fellow saints, and your fellow saints need you. I loved that write-up. And I think this episode sounds a lot like last episode. There'll probably be some similarities with the next episode because this idea of unity and disunity is so central to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. But I love it because I think it's so relevant to the social milieu that we are working in today, to some of the struggles that people face as members of the church and some of the struggles that we as a collective church kind of face. And so I love these as really, really relevant studies into how we can foster unity, not sameness, but unity in the church and on a more microscopic level within our own families, within our own wards, within our own quorums and neighborhoods and and groups of friends. So we're really, really excited for this very, very relevant episode. Speaking of relevant, I'm kind of stealing the question today. Um, I have a question coming from the readings that I think is a a good discussion for us to have. Um, and this actually comes, I was listening to an episode, I've quoted Jody Moore and her Better Than Happy um, podcast that I just love and learn so much from before. And so I was listening to this podcast episode um, that she did recently. I don't think it was the last one. It might have been a couple ago. But she actually taught a scripture story from the Book of Mormon in using her teaching model that she teaches in her coaching. Um, and in that she referenced a lot of questions that she gets or something that she talks a lot about with some of her clients and that it goes along with a scripture that we find in this scripture block. So the question is, well, maybe I'll read the scripture first here. So the scripture comes in first Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way so that you may be able to bear it. So there's the scripture. And as I was 
kind of discussing this with Zach and saying, okay, is this true? Because certainly we have a lot of people that face a lot of hard things. And Jody Moore referenced this in her episode as well. And it just created this discussion that I think, I think is relevant to all of us. And maybe you came across this passage of scripture and wondered the same thing. So the question is, does, does God yeah. do that? Does he allow people to, because it sure seems like he allows people to be tempted. Above and even that idea of to, allowing, yeah, you know, yeah. what, what does that language actually mean that yeah. we're allowed temptations or trials? That's a great, and it's a tricky question. That one of, does God allow us to be tempted? Does he instigate trials and challenges in our life? Or is that just part of human living and God kind of takes a back seat and let life lets life take its course. Um, it would be a fun study, and that one would be one to take to modern prophets and apostles because they've spoken really clearly on it. Um, but on this specific question, um, we mentioned this last week a little bit, and it's something I've that I'm really passionate about. We have to be careful with scriptures that we don't, A, pull them out of context, and B, chop them up into small bite-sized pieces. The scriptures have always been meant to be re- to be read um, at length. This is most of the scriptures we have come from people who were used to an oral tradition, which means uh, they were used to saying things, sermonizing, writing long things. Um, so we get in trouble when we take that long sermon and we pull out one line of it and say, "Well, what about this?" And this is one example. So the scripture does say. God is faithful and won't allow you to be tempted above your ability to resist that temptation. But if we stop there, then we misquote the doctrine and we say, see, God won't let you be tempted above your ability to resist temptation, which isn't true, right? You take you take someone who's struggling with alcoholism and they go into a bar and they will be tempted above their ability to fight that temptation. Or they're not in a bar, they're just at a party with friends and someone offers them alcohol. They're, or they're home lonely. Or exactly, exactly. Like any other temptation. Right. So you have to finish the sentence. But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape so that you can bear it. Three possible ways, uh, three possible outcomes to temptation. Number one, uh, God gives you a temptation that you can handle. And so you just simply fight the temptation and you say no. That's one very real way to respond to temptation. Number two, the temptation is more than you can fight and you run from it. And I know that sounds like cowardice, but it's not. There are some, te- some temptations that you just flat out run from. Um, number three, you bear it. And that's a really healthy way, I think, to view problems in our lives. Um, because I think sometimes if we're not careful, um, we can think that we have to, out of our own sheer force of will, try and fight every temptation that comes to us because God would never give us a temptation that we can't fight. But if we understand that, no, sometimes temptations are stronger than you. Sometimes the natural man just takes over and you can't fight it. If that's the case, you run from it. You find a different scenario, a different situation. You don't go to that party anymore. You don't spend time with those friends anymore because you know that that temptation is stronger than you. And in doing that, you find strength. That is being strong. That's how you fight temptation. Sometimes you just run from it. Isn't it interesting? I think this is another one of those examples of when we remove Jesus Christ from the scenario, that we lo- it loses its power. Mm. And we really need to remind ourselves that he is at the center of, um, of any 
temptation that we're trying to overcome or anything that we're having to bear in our life. Yeah, the part we probably shouldn't overlook in that scripture, most of all, is the first line, that God is faithful. Yes. Which means he's loyal and he's true and he's faithful to you at the same time that he's asking you to be faithful to him. Mm -hmm. It's a great thought. Well, thank you for letting me steal that. That little question spot and, today, but we've got uh, some other good ones. And we do, and please keep submitting questions. We love hearing your questions. It gives us great focus in what we study on, and we love being able to interact with people. So keep them coming. Yeah, thank you. Okay, um, so a couple of years ago, um, a friend of mine uh, sent me a picture of his horribly broken and disfigured ankle. Um, it was gross and I have a weak stomach and it was really hard to look at. Um, two years ago mm-hmm. I was at work again and you sent me, well, I got the phone call first, but later on I got the picture of my son Rowan that broke his arm and his arm in the picture was an S like, and that's not an exaggeration. It was horrible. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe we throw it up on Instagram or not, but it's, it was. <laughs> I'm sure people get the idea. It was Most gross. People. It was gross. It's still weird. Even though you've seen pictures like that, it's still weird to see yeah. that happen. Today. I still remember calling him on the phone as he was driving in the car on the way to the hospital and saying, hey, Rowan, how you doing, buddy? And he goes, I'm fine. Tough kid. <laughs> but I was thinking of those pictures as I was reading this week. Especially because Paul uses the symbol of the body, the image of the body, to describe the church. As we read in that introduction, um, he likens us as church members to different parts of the body because he wants to talk about this ongoing disunity in the Corinthian church. And as we mentioned, this is so relevant to us because we are at a stage where there is so much diversity in the church today Um, that if we're not careful, we might face some of those same problems. And in some places, we probably do face some of those same problems. So what we want to focus on in this episode is question number one, what is it that breaks our quote-unquote body? Whether that body that you're thinking of is your ward or the church in general or your family, what are some things that break the body? Again, you'll find many things in your study. We'll give you just a couple that we found. Question two What is it that heals the body? What is it that can mend those broken bones or put things back the way that they were, that they were originally designed to be? And I think it's fitting here to start talking about this the way that Paul started talking about the body. And that is in chapter 12. I'm going to start reading here in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ And then verse 14, Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, but one body. I just think this is such a cool analogy, such a great teaching for us as we really come to understand this unity 
that we are supposed to have. And I know we talked about this in last episode, like Zach mentioned, and even in Romans, obviously this is not a common, an uncommon problem back then. And just like Zach was saying earlier, it's not uncommon now. I think what our question is, is what breaks the body is when we start to feel like there are parts that are more important than another part. Mm -hmm. And as we read here, I mean, if you start thinking about the body, the body is just cool. And I think that as you start to think about the different parts of the body and you say, no, I really don't want to do without this or all of these parts work together. And when you think of this in, in the way of our world, I'm even just thinking as this general umbrella of our world working together. The people that you see that might quote unquote be the important people couldn't be doing a lot of the important things they're doing if there wasn't someone creating roads and allowing trains for them to get places to places. Someone who engineers um, how to build an airplane, someone who figures out how to get pipes and water and sewers. I mean, it's so interesting to me to think about that. And I actually love it. (laughs) But I love that he... Um, illustrates it so well because this is the unity that we need to have. We need each part and each part is a different function and a beautiful different function. Yeah, I love uh, a couple of verses in here, verse in chapter 12, uh, 22. Um, Paul says, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Those three words, feeble, less honorable, and uncomely, uh, I think define the way that maybe some church members or some family members feel about themselves. I'm the feeble one. I'm the weak one. I'm the one that doesn't contribute anything. Or, I'm the less honorable one. I'm the invisible one. I'm the one that doesn't have an important calling or an important assignment or an important responsibility. Or, I'm the uncomely one. I'm the ugly one. I'm the one that no one wants to talk to. I'm the one that no one wants to listen to. My life is X, Y, or Z, and because of that, I don't belong. And so, in addition to, I think, us looking at other people and either exaggerating their importance or undervaluing their importance... I think something that breaks the body is when we look at ourselves in those ways and forget that the feeble parts of the body, quote unquote, feeble parts of the body are just as necessary to its function as the stronger parts of the body, right? My, my thighs are strong. Well, it's supposed to be, uh, those are big muscles, uh, but some of the smaller muscles in my hands or in my face are just as important to my expression as a person as those are, um, I was thinking of the analogy as we were as in the body. You know how it feels to, I don't know, I sprained a lot of ankles in my life. I know how it feels when I have a body part that doesn't work and you have to overcompensate for that other side. And it creates wear and tear that you wouldn't have to have when everything isn't pulling. And I just, that importance that I feel from Paul, because he talks about the same analogy to, to the Romans. We, he said something similar to them too. And I just can't help but um, think how important this was for him to teach the people how important each member was, no matter their abilities, their faith level, their 
stature in the in their lives. Yeah. The part that I looked at was a little bit earlier in chapter 8. Um, Paul mentions this idea of stumbling blocks in chapter 8, verse 9. Uh, the beginning of chapter 8 is a little bit difficult to understand because he's talking about something that maybe we don't identify with. Uh, he's talking about meat that's offered to idols, but that some Christians are eating um, because they feel that as Christians, no longer under the law of Moses, that that's okay. Paul even will say things like that, that you know the law holds no more sway because we live in the law of Christ. Paul kind of takes him to task for it because this liberty of theirs, this is verse 7, um, is offending the conscience of the weak. And so verse 9, take heed lest by any means this liberty or this freedom supposed freedom of yours. And later on in the in the epistle, he'll actually tell them, no, you shouldn't be eating meat offered idols. You shouldn't be doing anything with idols, nothing related to them. But you think you can do this. And this supposed liberty of yours has become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Um, I, one of the things that I'm kind of passionate about is uh, the difference between religious observance and cultures. And we're really quick, I think, as um, if you're listening to us in, in the Western culture, we're really quick to look at other cultures outside of Western culture and say, well, that culture is obviously at odds with the gospel on points X, Y, or Z. What we're not so good at doing is looking at our own Western culture and seeing where it is at odds with the gospel. And this is one really big point. In Western culture, we idealize independence. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and the consequences be darned. I'm going to, I'm going to forge ahead. I'm going to charge ahead. And I, I'm an individual and I have individual rights and I can do what I want to do. And that is not anything close to what the Savior taught. And that's not what Paul's teaching here. I think one of the things that breaks the body is when we are individualistic and we forget that we are a family. God's organization is a family organization. We should live with that kind of family conscience. And so if I'm doing something, even though it's okay for me, if it's not okay for someone else, if it hurts or offends or causes them to stumble, Paul says at the beginning of chapter nine, if I'm doing anything, I will stop whatever. I will become weak if that's what it takes so that I don't ever cause someone to leave Christ. And I love that teaching. So if that's some of the ideas that we came up with that what breaks the body, we now want to talk about some of the things that heal the body. And in the Come Follow Me manual, it brought up the topic of the sacrament. And I just love some of the points that it, it brought out. Um, and so I'm going to read this in chapters 10, verse 16, what Paul says about the sacrament. He says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. It's a cool verse. It makes me think we went to Seaside, Oregon a couple of weeks ago with our family. And in the sacrament meeting that we were in, they announced the beginning of sacrament meeting. Just so anyone that's visiting knows, our bread is gluten-free and soy-free and I think it was also Everything free. lactose free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, how cool is that? That they literally have one bread that everyone in the congregation can partake of. Mm -hmm. 
And really, I think what this teaches here, what what the word that came to my mind in answer to this question, what heals the body is covenants as we make these unifying covenants. And particularly that he teaches us about the sacrament. We teach that the sacrament is one of the most important ordinances and covenants that we make in the in the church and you know who's invited to partake of that ordinance everyone remember that sign on our churches that says visitors welcome everyone is united in this covenant that we are all by that ordinance that we perform every week being united in the body of christ and it also made me think of the temple and how the covenants that we are making there in this very sacred place, um, us as a body of saints, when we go there, we take off all of our labels as we enter in. We put on white clothing and we are all the same there. Yeah, I think it's cool to think that each one of us, I've always thought it's interesting in the temple, you can't tell as you're sitting there who uh, is the nursery worker in their ward and who is the stake president and who is the single mother and who is the relief society president and who just came back to church a couple months ago and who's been a lot you can't tell any of that Mm -hmm. we're all there for a simple unified purpose and we bring with us all of our diversity and our character and our personality but that's not the focus of the temple the focus of the temple is worshiping god And that's what unifies us. Well, and covenants. Mm -hmm. Going back to the answer to my question, what heals us is as we focus on what really matters, the covenants that we are making um, with God. My answer, my thought was was similar in chapter 12. um, Paul talks about, it's one of those places, there's a couple of them in scriptures, where there's a list of spiritual gifts. And I love those lists. I think these are often an example of when we take something out of the scriptures and kind of separate it from its context and it loses some of its power. Paul isn't giving a list of spiritual gifts here to um, prove to you that you need to acquire spiritual gifts, which is often how we treat those lists. Here's a list of spiritual gifts. Which ones do you have? Which ones do you want? Etc. That's not what he's doing here. Here, he's giving a list of spiritual gifts, you know, the gift of of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of manifestations of the Spirit, um, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, faith to heal, faith to be, etc. But he makes the statement, verse 11, all these work that one and self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and has many members, and all members are the one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. In other words, he's giving this list of gifts in order to show us, yeah, everybody has different gifts and abilities, and that's intended to be that way. Um, We are supposed to be complementary to each other. We're supposed to need each other. I'm supposed to go to uh, church and bring with me my my weaknesses and my troubles and my problems and sit next to someone whose gifts exactly complementary mine. And so when we're sitting in Sunday school together and I express my frustrations or my problems or my concerns, then she says, well, here's my thoughts or here's my testimony. Or here's my feelings. It's something that she's strong in then helps me and vice versa. We had a Sunday school present in our ward uh, 
couple of years ago that would always say that in nature you have a, uh, a poisonous plant that'll grow up and in very near proximity to that plant the antidote would would uh, would grow just naturally and he would always say that a ward is kind of like that that there are people in the ward that are poisoned with x y or z um, but the person sitting right next to them might have the antidote and so I love that God allows that kind of diversity in our skills and abilities so that we're supposed to be cemented to each other. And I would add that what heals us is as a person that we recognize and value and honor and see other people's gifts yeah. and maybe even see your own. I think, mm. you know, be aware of what gifts you have that you can bring to offer and also vice versa. You already said vice versa. I shouldn't say it again. Vice versa. <laughs> that um, that we all have something to offer and, and be proud of those gifts and also be proud and um, honor other people's gifts as well. Yeah. And vice versa, too. And vice versa. <laughs> None of that works, however, without what Paul says at the beginning of chapter 13 and the beginning of chapter 8. You want a good bookend for the study. Listen, verse eight or chapter 8, verse 1. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up but charity edifieth. Chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or as tinkling cymbal. In other words, none of this works. None of these solutions work without the pure love of Christ, where you are able to love someone else the way that Christ loves them. And maybe even love yourself the way that Christ loves you. Well, to end... Um, I've thought multiple times as we've been studying this week of this account in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. If you've never read this book, it is phenomenal. Um, the background of the book, if you've never read it, is there is a busload of ghosts um, from hell that have taken a trip to heaven and they get off of the bus and they're greeted by these spirits from heaven, all of whom welcome them with open arms. Admission to heaven is completely free. And so the narrator of the book follows some of these ghosts around and finds the different reasons why they choose not to go to heaven. Even though it's open to them, each of them, for some specific reason, actually would rather go and live in hell than they would in heaven. This account is of an artist, a very famous artist, that now meets his friend, who's one of these spirits, and, uh, and they talk through what art looks like in heaven. And part of what the spirit is trying to convey to his ghost friend is art in heaven is everywhere. Everything is light and everything is beautiful. And you don't need to paint it because the real thing is right in front of you, which kind of infuriates his friend who's a painter. Then he says this, of course, said the ghost as if speaking to itself, there'll be interesting people to meet. Everyone will be interesting. Oh, yes, to be sure. I was thinking of people in our own line, though. Shall I meet Claude or Cezanne or sooner or later if they're here? But don't you know? Well, of course not. I've only been here a few years. All the chances are against my having run across them. There are a good many of us, you know. But surely in the case of distinguished people, you'd hear. But they aren't distinguished. No more than anyone else. Don't you understand? The glory flows into everyone and back from everyone, like light and mirrors but the light's the thing. Do you mean that there are no famous men? They are all famous. They're all known, remembered, recognized by the only mind that can give a perfect judgment. I think that's the vision that Paul has 
for the church in Corinth. And I think that's the vision that we can have for our church. We can be, we should be, a church and a neighborhood and a quorum and a family where everybody is filled with glory and everyone is filled with light and everyone is famous and everyone is important. And that doesn't diminish anyone. It only diminishes people if we're focused on comparison. But if we're focused on that same goal of worshiping God, um, then everyone can be filled with light and everyone can, can have that kind of grandeur to themselves. And everyone can know that they matter because everyone feels recognized and seen and glorified by the only mind that actually matters. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being with us and studying with us in these chapters this week. We are so grateful for each of you for your support and kindness, and we hope you have a great week.